This episode of the 614 Startups Podcast is brought to you by Ecove Capital. Are you a researcher or an inventor with a product or technology you want to commercialize and you're not quite sure how to get started? The team at Ecove can help you validate your idea, secure funding, and provide the support necessary to help your startup succeed. Check out Ecove Capital for more details. And Thompson Hine. Whether you just have an idea or a newly created startup or already working to scale, Thompson Hines' team of early and growth stage attorneys will provide you the support you need to get funded and succeed. Created to meet the needs and budgets of startups, Thompson Hines' quick launch has menu-based pricing and tons of great content. Visit thquicklaunch.com today. 614 Startups Nation. Welcome to another episode of the 614 Startups Podcast. This is Elio Harmon, your host, and I have a very special guest tonight. This conversation has been a long time coming, and I'm excited to bring it to you. My guest tonight is Flavio Lobato of Ecove Capital. How you doing, Flavio? Hey, Elio. How are you? Pleasure to be here, and, and uh, thank you so much for the invite. Yeah, and, and thank you for, for accepting the invite. I've had a couple of people from Ecove on the show already, but I really wanted to get you on because you're going to bring us some unique perspectives based on what your role is there now. But before we right. get into it, I want to touch on your background, personal background, where are you from? And let's talk about kind of how you got into the space and how you became an investor and co-founder of Ecove. Sure, my pleasure. So uh, as you may know, I'm Brazilian by birth, uh, just like my co-founder, Rodolfo uh, Belasi, we're high school buddies. And um, I came to the U.S. for high school and, 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 and you know, was a swimmer, ended up, you know, uh, staying in for, for college, went, you know, did my undergrad at University of Miami down in, in South Florida, and, uh, and very early on took an interest uh, for finance, got accepted to Harvard Business School. After business school, I went into Wall Street and really for the last 25 years have been really involved in high finance, working in places like Goldman Sachs, uh, Credit Suisse, and, and then later shifted, you know, my, my career, uh, into alternative investments and, uh, helped launch a couple of very successful alternative investment shops running, you know, multi-billion dollar portfolios and around 20, 15 or so, Rodolfo reached out to me because uh, he was in the process of moving back to, uh, to to Columbus. And interestingly enough, I had just gone through an exit on the fund that I was working with. You know, he invited me to to come in and visit Columbus. So, um, it, it, you know, that I'll started with, with that invitation. But basically, my career has really been focused on alternative investment for quite a while now. All right. Now, Rodolfo, you've known him since high school. I right. feel like every time I have a conversation with Rodolfo, it might turn into a business proposition. Has he always been that way? <laughs> yeah, I mean, he's, you know, he's a visionary and, uh, and really, you know, uh, where we are today is because of, of, of that vision. And I'm just very blessed that, you know, I took that invite to come and, and, and visit Columbus and, uh, and, and meet with Dr. Robert Lee, which is now one of our co-founders as well. And, you know, visit the Ohio State CCO, you know, back in the day and, you know, learned that Ohio State had about a billion dollars a year in, you know, in, in basic R&D investments. And I was just floored. I couldn't believe it. 
and uh, and uh, you know, and we never look back. Yeah, and uh, you know, when when I think venture firm, you know, my mind goes to the very very traditional side of the investment business, right? And uh, although you'd been involved, uh, like you described it, in uh, alternative finance or investment opportunities, this had to be kind of a different path, right? Approaching universities and going the tech commercialization route. What was it about this model that really stood out to you and said, hey, for the next chapter of my career, this is the space that I want to work in? You know, and really, uh, I think coming from, you know, investing in, in, in fund of funds, right, fund of hedge funds and I've been investing since uh, since the early days of the industry. In a, in a fund of fund, what you're doing is really, you know, you identify the macro teams, and then you go in from a top-down perspective, and this the way we approached it, and uh, go in and identify the managers that you believe will execute on that vision. And and really, what you build out on top of that is a very robust. So once I met with Ohio State, and I stepped back and I said, well, also we need to really understand. This is a Ohio State specific situation where they have all these investments in, in R and D, or this is happening more broadly across, you know, across the country. We just didn't know. And back then, in 2014, I mean, we just celebrated our fifth year, fifth anniversary. Uh, back then, there was about 60 billion dollars invested in basic research each year through universities. This number now is a little bit over 70 billion. If you compare that to all of venture, venture has stayed pretty much stable anywhere between 70 to $100 billion each year. You know, last couple of years have really been skewed because of unicorns. But if you really think about it, $70 billion invested in basic R&D, pretty much the size of all of venture, right? Wow. And at the same time, these universities were investing less than 1% of that into commercialization of these technologies, right? And interestingly enough, you know, in 2014, once we launched Tico, something really interesting happened is the advent of the super funds, right? And a major shift in how venture dollars were allocated. I mean, if you look a decade ago, unicorns, meaning, you know, venture companies, right, uh, startups that had a billion dollar private market valuation were about one to two percent of all the volume, number of deals, so to speak, and dollars invested in venture. You fast forward to the last couple of years, in, in volume terms, it's still about 1% to 2%, but close to 30% of all the money in venture has gone to Unicorn. So basically, 2% of the deals has taken 30% of all the money in venture. And at the same time, you've had early stage deals, meaning Series A and, and below, you know, have been cutting half. Wow. So not only, you know, universities themselves are investing very little in terms of commercialization, but the people that were supposed to be investing in through innovation, they're not doing that anymore, right? If you go back to the early days of venture, you have a situation where East Coast Capital was investing in West Coast research, and you hear the term of you know, technology commercialization all the time. Along the way, the venture funds have become so successful that they become so large that it no longer makes sense for them to invest in so much in early stage because it doesn't move the needle. And I thought that, you know, in the hedge fund space, you know, when we launched our fund, we were running $100 million. And then all of a sudden, we were running $7 billion. 
So the types of investments that you had to do when you're running a $100 million fund versus multi-billion dollar fund, it just completely changes the, the game, right? So we really saw an opportunity to create a structure to identify disruptive technologies in development and leading research institutions, right? Vet these technologies, and then to build the teams around them to launch them as independent companies, right? And we coined a term called venture development to differentiate what we do from traditional venture capital. Because we're not just writing a check and hoping that it works. We're really involved in the launch and supporting, you know, day-to-day operations of, 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 of the company. You know what? I mean, it's one of those things, right, where you don't know until you get into it. Now, the discrepancy was so large that I'm sure you had some questions, right, for Ohio State or universities like it. You know, why would you be receiving all of this money in research and development and only spending or actually being successful in commercializing 1%? What was the disconnect there? All these research dollars, all this innovation but only 1% is actually being commercialized. What was the issue there, there that you there, saw? There are many, many reasons. The, the number one reason is that researchers are not entrepreneurs. Right? Mm. And the other reason is that, you know, in many cases, their focus is not launching companies, but doing research. So there wasn't really a structure linking the two. And, and this is a situation where, you know, you don't need a lot of money. A lot of money actually creates a problem. What you need is, is really a structure in place to do that heavy lifting. Because as you well know, starting a company is very difficult. That early founder, he or she is usually by themselves or maybe with a co-founder, but they have to do everything. So the risk of failure in the first few years is very high because founders, they have to hire fire, they have to build a strategy, they have to go and raise money, right? In most cases, they spend a lot of time raising money and not so much focus on, on building the business. So what we've been able to do within within the nursery is first of all, we go directly to the source of innovation. So we don't have any intermediaries. We go in, we identify the tech, we vet it. We have the team in place to do that. Second, we go where very few people are looking. That is why we decided to launch ECOV in the Midwest. Why? Because of that $70 billion invested each year, about 20, 25% of that number is invested in the Midwest. You know, the Midwest is the largest economic region in the country, but it receives less than 3% of all the venture dollars. So, you know, the so-called value of that, you know, that gap that I was telling before is greatly exacerbated in the Midwest. And according to, you know, given, you know, my investment thesis and the way of really understanding how this kind of stuff really works. I mean, you want to be in a situation where you identify a market opportunity with significant deal flow, but with very few players in capital competing for those deals, right? And that's why we decided to, to go to the Midwest. You know, we, we are founders, meaning we go in very early. And, you know, ECO is usually on the founding cap table together with the university, the researchers, and the teams that, that, that we bring to the table. Why is that? Because given currently that, you know, you have price of money, interest rates are the lowest level in 5,000 years. Money is so cheap right now that, you know, the best way for you to have 
substantial returns going forward is to come in very early and be in a situation where, you know, you want to be on less liquid strategies, right, where dispersion of return between the top and bottom performers is very vast, meaning that if you're good at what you do, skills really matter. So that way you're able to create significant returns and alpha for, for the portfolio. So, you know, there's been a lot of thought that has gone into this strategy. And, you know, and you know when we first launched, our maiden company was, you know, Nikola Labs. And I believe you know Will Zell quite well. Yes. And, you know, Nikola is, you know, just flying right now. You know, I believe Nikola in the next few years will be a unicorn. And, uh, and not that we, we focus on that, but, you know, just, you know, the way the business is positioned and, and the growth that's coming under the leadership of, of Will and the team. I mean, it's just incredible. We have launched now 14 companies in different, you know, areas, you know, from, you know, wireless power, AI, you know, robotics, fintech, you know, medtech. I mean, we have two portfolio companies that have received FDA approval. We have a couple more going through FDA right now. We've expanded to China. We're launching uh, fintech, our first fintech venture in, in Brazil, you know, back in our home country. So this model works and we've proven that it works across industries and so it's been very exciting. Now, you, you use the phrase, identify the tech, right? And in, in my understanding is that Eco will even look at concept stage, right? Um, the tech doesn't necessarily need to be built out fully. My mm-hmm. question is, how do you or what's the process like? And if it's the secret sauce, you don't have to reveal. But I think it's very interesting and maybe one of the reasons why with all their success, venture funds are kind of waiting until later on in the process, because like you said, that's the valley of death, right? Going from that concept to actually a viable business. How do you identify technology that can actually become businesses in this model? We do a lot of work. Uh, (laughs) It's not easy. (laughs) Yeah. And that, I think, is the key here, right? Because, you know, there's a very interesting uh, research done by the Kauffman Foundation where they say that the true differentiating factor in return is the amount of time that you put in in the diligence. And, 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 you know, according to their study, I believe they looked at, you know, thousands of angels over the course of several years and, you know, and, 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 and really, you know, the ones that did, you know, a lot of the diligence, meaning, you know, around 40 hours or so of, of the diligence, you know, basically made six times their money versus the people with little or no diligence basically either lost or got their money back. So, you know, by spending time up front, right, in, in building a process, you know, like I said, you know, with no intermediaries, I mean, we're, we're very lucky to now have a team in place of 25 people full-time at ECO. That's all we do. And, you know, that have deep understandings in, you know, SaaS, in AI, in MedTech, in, you know, DFM, which helps that evaluation. And also we're very lucky to have, you know, someone like Rodolfo and also Dr. Rob Lee as part of the investment committee. Also, you know, David Morris, our, you know, full-time, you know, head of legal compliance that's also an engineer and our other partner is based in New York, you know, John, you know, John DeRazio. Um, so I think that the, uh, you know, the caliber of the team that we have in place 
and the deal flow, right, that we have uh, now. Because in the early days, people were like, you know, what are you two crazy Brazilians doing here? Just get out of town. Um, and, and now, uh, you know, we, we, we're in a situation where, you know, we seriously have about a thousand, you know, technologies that we're looking at wow. on a yearly basis where, you know, really we're picking the four to six that we want to we want to launch, and uh, it's just incredible. Uh, you know, in my 25 years in the investment, you know, in the investment world, I've never seen an opportunity set like this. And as Ecov has scaled, right? Like you said, you guys are up to 25 employees. That allows um, people to really specialize and use their skill set. One of the things I wanted to talk to you about, because I get to see Rodolfo all the time, even though he travels. You are the man on the road, right? I think you're in yeah. Miami right now. And so what is your role within eCove and how does that uh, benefit both the entrepreneurs and the investors that work with eCove? You know, you said it correctly. I mean, this year alone, I've traveled over 300,000 miles. I mean, so it's, um, you know, you know, we see all the success, but it's really come with a lot of work. And, uh, and we are in a position right now where, you know, we really understand what we're good at. Especially Rodolfo and I as co-founders, you know, he does what he likes to do and, and he, I trust in, in what he does and he trusts in what I do. And so we, we don't meddle. And that is really, uh, I think, the secret here is bringing people that you know are better than you and trusting in, 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 in working together and developing that skill set. Uh, with that said, I've been investing for 25 years at the highest level and a lot of that has been portable. So right now, I think the, the latest we had, you know, just north of $70 million has been invested directly in our portfolio and quarter of a billion dollars of value that has been created. You know, I truly believe that in the next couple of years or so, that number will cross a billion. And, you know, we are in full growth mode, uh, launching, uh, you know, four to six companies over the next 12 months. So. You know, we've really have developed a global network of relationships. And, uh, like one, one, you know, one guy that traveled a lot with me is Will Dell. I mean, we've been around the world, you know, from Singapore to Japan, to Moscow to China, you know, to Monaco, London. I mean, really everywhere. And, uh, and it's just, you know, being incredible to, to, to really uh, showcase, you know, Nicola, but more importantly, showcase what's being done in Ohio. Um, 99% of the money that has been invested in our Ohio-based companies have come from outside of Ohio, which I think is fantastic. You know, one of the big things about being in the Midwest, right, is convincing people to just come here, right? To just visit the area and see what we are doing. One of the things that I think um, uh, Lieutenant Governor Husted really worked on this, and I, I want to get your opinion on this if you're familiar, uh, but it's the Ohio IP promise. This okay. idea that yeah. um, commercialization, right? So identifying the tech is one thing. Doing all of that due diligence is another. But actually right. getting you know, the necessary paperwork signed and, and, and making sure that the researchers' interests are protected and then whoever funded the research and, and all of these competing, sometimes competing parties would be kind of bottlenecks in the process. Have you seen right. improvement, right? As you identify technology, like you said, 
you guys are in full growth mode. Do you see any obstacles there or are you finding ways to, to keep deals moving despite some issues? You know, you know it's not smooth at all. Uh-huh. Um, what, what we have now is credibility. So when we're speaking to, like, for instance, I'm now in South Florida. And really, even though I'm Brazilian, I, you know, Miami, you know, I grew up here and spent a lot of time. So after 10 years in New York, I'm, I'm really happy to be back in, in Miami. So, you know, there's a lot of opportunities here in Florida. You know, I think that the uh, situation here is very similar to Ohio, where where you have, you know, significant R&D, but very little investment coming in, right? Because, you know, as we all well know, I mean, the majority of investments are going to the coast. I mean, I'm co-head of FinTech for Harvard Angels in New York. And, you know, so I see all that deal flow. I mean, they don't need my help, you know, but once you step out of New York, Boston, San Fran, and you start to go to different regions, I mean, there's a, there's a huge need. But, you know, every time, you know, we go through this process, you know, it's, it's, it's hard. You know, every time we, we go and license a new technology, I mean, it, 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 it's a hassle because you still need to, I mean, at the end of the day, the most important aspect of everything is people. So the alignment with the researcher is very important. Usually the researcher doesn't come in as a, in a C-level position. He or she stays, you know, doing what they love to do, but they, uh, they work very closely, you know, with, you know, with the business team uh, to, 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 to launch the business, but more from a, let's say, advisory capacity. We bring in the PhDs that work under him or her to come in and, 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 and support that, that structure because you don't want to universities to feel threatened, right? You don't want them to feel that you're, you're going there and trying to coach people. Um, I think what's different about what we do is that we're, you know, we're not, we're not, we're not coming in trying to just, you know, screw anybody or, you know, we're, we're building a relationship. We're building a long-term relationship. We're not looking for a transaction, right. With that university. I mean, we hope to license several technologies out of Ohio state. We hope to license several technologies out of FIU, for instance, you know, for an international university, you know, we're working with Dr. Volaki that was the head of the electroscience labs at Ohio state. And now is the Dean of engineering at FIU. So, you know, those relationships, they, you know, that you develop over time. I mean, they, you know, they ended up, you know, moving and going to different places and, doors are open, right? So I think that the key to our success is that the universities, they realize that we are, you know, working for the long term. You know, we're not just working on a single transaction. You know, we're trying to bring in different parties, the university, the researcher, the eco, the management team, and our investors, and, you know, making sure that everyone is aligned to allow for the success of that startup. And, so far, we've we've been able to do. We, we've been very blessed with the types of investors that have supported us. I mean, they've been very patient. You know, this is a long-term game. I mean, this is not something that just happens overnight. Uh, but you know, we're beginning to see you know the fruits of our labors you know come to fruition, and hopefully, here in the next few years, we'll, we'll have our first exit, and, and we'll complete that cycle. Now, when you're thinking about exits, I know you you mentioned Nicola Labs in particular, but I just had an interview not too long ago with Vinny Gradwall of Cognovi oh, yeah. Labs. I mean, I was my mind was absolutely blown 
with what they're working on there when it comes to yeah. predictive analytics and using data. Yeah. But as you're thinking about that portfolio and then that exit down the road, what are some technologies, right, that you're really excited? And, and I think your theme is, is, is taking things out of the lab and bringing it to humanity. What are some you know, humanity kind of very impactful technologies you guys have in the pipeline that you would love to, to kind of see a commercial success? Well, I mean, this is still a little early on, on our pipe, but when you look at what we do and, you know, and Rodolfo and I, we, we talk about mission and why are we doing this and really is unlock the value of technology commercialization and identify technologies that deserve to be shared with humanity. I mean, that's what we're trying to do. Not every technology will have a double bottom line, so to speak. But if the stuff we're doing, and I know you know Ross, you know, uh, quite well, what we're doing with, with Paragen is mind-blowing in terms of potential and everything we're doing in wood healing and, and orthopedics, vascular. I mean, we're building blood vessels. I mean, I can just imagine a few years down the road when we're able to actually build a aorta out of nanofibers. I mean, that is just mind-blowing. But one tech in particular that I'm very excited about is the new code that we have. I mean, we haven't even funded. It's still within the nursery, but it's a company called Matrix Meat. And, you know, I don't eat red meat, but one of a the A Brazilian biggest... that doesn't eat red meat. This is a first. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, I... Rodolfo almost almost disowned me. <laughs> yeah, I know, I know. Because that's how he. But basically, you know what Matrix Meat uh, is, is doing using the nanofiber scaffold. It's actually working with in the helm of cellular agriculture. So we're working with the leading cellular agriculture companies in the world to be able to 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 build scaffolds that would allow lab grown meat to actually be like a steak, like a, a burger, right? Mm -hmm. And if there is one area where I think that, you know, you can have huge environmental impact, you know, with CO2 emissions and given, you know, everything in that industry and, you know, and the slaughter and all of that, to me, this is the reason why Ecove exists. I mean, like, this is a tech that, from my perspective, even though it could be, you know, a few years down the road, that's one of the reasons why we build out Ecove to really bring these types of life-changing technologies to market. So it's still, like I said, we, we haven't launched it. You know, we, we, we are in, uh, I guess, no longer in stealth mode, but it's, um, it, it, it's very exciting. Yeah, and I mean, with what we're seeing with companies that are meatless in the stock market and the explosive growth that they're experiencing, I think the market now understands and we as a population are moving towards this idea that, hey, maybe we need to change the way we eat in order to really have the impact we'd like to have on the climate. Flavio, yeah. thank you so much. I appreciate you having this conversation with me. This is my final question for you. If you could fast forward, right? Five years, 10 years. I know you laid out some of the things that you're hopeful about, but where do you see eCove and, and, and where do you see yourself within that? You know, uh, it's it just, it's limitless, you know. Uh, you know, this, this, you know, like I said, is in, in, in you know, in 25 years, you know, investing, you know, around the world. You know, I've never in my dreams would have imagined that this kind of opportunity set would be right here in the backyard in the United States. Um, it's the single, in my view, single largest opportunity set in the market today. You know, the ability to go in and identify. I mean, the next big thing is already here already in development at 
the leading research labs in the United States. This is a global problem. This is not a U.S. only problem. So look, that is the limit. You know, I, I, I honestly, you know, when Rodolfo and I first started this, you know, we could not have dreamed of where we are now. We just need to stay humble, focused, and making sure that, you know, we continue to attract the right people and provide incentives to attract the Wilzells, the Benny Gravels, right? And the partners like, you know, Ross and, and, and Jad, you know, that we've been very blessed to bring to our, our, our network, you know, and the entire team that we built, you know, at, at ECO. But I think it's very hard to predict where this is going to be in 10 years. I, I do think that in the current portfolio today, there are multiple companies that will have very significant exits. You know, I believe Cognovi is one of them. Nico is one of them. You know, what we're doing in Paragen, just mind-blowing. You know, what we're doing right now in FinTech in, in Brazil, it's probably one of the biggest opportunities I've ever seen. Uh, and, I'm, and, you know, so I, I, I think very soon you guys will, will begin to hear some of the stuff that's being done down there. And, uh, you know, it's just very exciting. I mean, I wake up every day and I'm pumped, you know, and, and I, I feel like I'm starting my career and I've never been this excited in my entire life. That is incredible. And we'll be right here to cover each and every one of those moments. Flavio, thank you so much. And, and to the entire Ecove team for sponsoring 614 Startups. We couldn't put out this content without you guys supporting us. So it's much appreciated. And thank you for all the work you're doing, you know, in the community and helping us to continue to provide that support. Thank you. And, and I close out every podcast with my one takeaway. Now, as an entrepreneur, sometimes I leap first before I look, but uh, in Flavio's words, due diligence matters. Take the time up front to do your research, to understand your market, to understand your competitors, to understand the landscape, and you can have the success that you're looking for. Thank you so much for joining us on another episode. Peace. Six one four Startups Nation. It's a wrap. Thank you for listening. You can listen to this podcast on our website, www.614startups.com, and on all your favorite podcast channels like Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Anchor, and Google Podcasts. Make sure you like, subscribe, and comment. Also, 614startups.com is your one-stop shop for Columbus startup news, interviews, and events. Make sure you make 614startups.com part of your daily routine to stay up to date.